Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 53 of Thrive Deeper. DJ here and on this episode, Matthew and myself get into the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 11 and 12. And oh, we go deep. We cover John the Baptist, Jesus's prayer, the talk about faith, the idea of the Sabbath, the idea of blasphemy, and a big concept of subverting your expectations and how Jesus does this in the gospel narrative. It's a big episode. I'm really, am I allowed to say this? I'm really proud of this episode. It's a really good one. I know you're going to enjoy it. And we start in a really weird place. All right. Are you ready? We're going to talk about, I think, one of Matthew Jacoby's all-time favorite bands. What is it? Well, you're going to find out all about it next here on Thrive Deeper. This morning, yep, to early rec- this morning, early this morning to record yeah. the, record the podcast today. Where were you, and where, what were you what were you doing? Why were you away? Am I in trouble? No, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Um, you are in well, trouble. Well, I went because you mucked around the recording times. You said, "I'm back early. Let's yeah. record early." Yeah, um, I went to the Midnight Oil concert in Wollongong. It's actually a little small town north of Wollongong in in a small theatre. Uh, in in Wollongong, Midnight Oil uh, were doing like a warm up concert. Wow! Uh, that uh, like the tickets they put tickets online and they literally went in like three seconds. So how did you uh, get one? So well, a- Andy Goulet, yes. uh, um of Red Frogs yes. uh, fame, he rang me up and said, "Oh, I'm, I don't know how, but he managed to get two tickets oh, cool. with Red and, Frogs. They would definitely and, get and he one." Said, and he said, well, "You know, would you do you want to come come up?" So I flew up. Uh, flew up to Sydney and um, we did some uh, meetings uh, together with, uh, and, and then went to the Minola concert. So it was just insanely good. Okay, <laughs> it was so so good for for everybody who who's listening right now and going, hang on, Minola, who are they? Right now, oh, I, no one is saying that. So, so we have some American listeners. Oh, okay, all right. I'm going right. to put some Minola in right here. <laughs> U.S. forces give a nod. Your country bombs and trenches all in rows, bombs and threats still ask for more. Let's give it back. Rescue 
Okay, so there's some midnight oil samples for you. That's what we're talking about. Peter Garrett, the lead singer there, um, a very interesting character, overtly Christian, um, overtly political, you know, yeah. uh, much more on the left side of politics yeah. traditionally. Um, he's He had a run well, in politics. It was, it was interesting going to a concert right after the election. Yes. Uh, yeah, he had plenty to say about that. Really? He's yeah. still talking about politics on stage? Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, that's what they're known yeah. for. Yeah. But you think with his run, I mean, he had, he had a run in politics and it did not end well for him at all. Yeah. Very, very tragically, I thought. And mm. uh, But I, I'm excited that he's back at Midnight Oil. Now, I, I'm a casual appreciator of Midnight Oil, mm. not a hardcore fan. I'm a hardcore fan. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're such a hardcore fan, when yeah. are we going to see some Peter Garrett moves in Sons of Gora? That's what <laughs> no, I want to know. You're not. But I've actually... There's a, a lot of ideas, a lot of the way that they weave vocals together. And there's a, actually, even though the music that we make with Sons of Chorus, obviously nothing like yeah. them, but there, a lot of, there are a lot of ideas really? taken from Midnight Okay, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Give me one. Give me one actual idea that you went, okay, I can point to this point in Sons of Korra song and it, yeah. rem- and it reflects on what I learned from yeah. so, Midnight Oil. So any, any, any song, and there, there are a few where there are... Um, uh, like a kind of thematic vocal thing with a vocal over the top, like "Come, let us come," and and then a vo- vocal yes. over the top. Or, yeah. um, uh, uh, I mean, we, we've done this a lot. Where, where I'll where we'll sing, um, you know, we'll sing something, and then there'll be a main vocal over the uh, top. Over the top. Yes. So in Psalm Forty Six, we did it in some. We did, there's a lot of a lot of points where we do this like multiple counterpoint sort of vocal thing. And that's a very Midnight Oil It is a uh, very mid- of, yeah. uh, thing. They create a lot of energy uh, that way. And I, and because I, I went to some of their acoustic gigs, we're going to get onto the proper podcast here, but I went no, to some of their acoustic gigs back in the 90s and was amazed at how much energy, like when they did this acoustic tour, how much yeah. energy they created just with acoustic instruments. Yeah. And um, and it was really to do with intensity and vocal, you know, the vocal layering and all of these and counterpoint vocals. And so, yeah, we, we a, a lot of the energy that we create in some of our more turbulent material is using a lot of those uh, a lot of those ideas. I love it. Wel- welcome to an episode of Minoid All Talk with Matt and DJ. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. So you've come back energised by the Midnight Oil energy, <laughs> fueled up on the Midnight Oil, and uh, you've come back this morning, and we're talking about the Gospel of Matthew. And somehow, I think that Peter Garrett and the team would be very happy that we were talking <laughs> straight from the concert about the life of Christ and the Gospels. Yeah. I think he'd be very impressed there. I got to meet him ages ago. Did I ever tell you oh, that? No, you never told oh, me. I met, met Peter oh. Garrett at Black Sump days back in the wow. day. Yeah, lovely guy. Anyway, all right, moving all right. on. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're in uh, this week. We're in uh, chapters eleven and twelve mm. of the Gospel of Matthew. So to give you a bit of a narrative, well, there's some complex stuff here, isn't there? Yeah, in definitely. These two chapters. Definitely. We've got yeah. a, we, we've got a. We're going to try to divide it pretty simply in in the two halves of the show today. But to give people a bit of a foundation, this is the uh, the life of Christ. We're still early days in his ministry. He's uh, you know we've seen him publicly uh, been baptized by John the Baptist. He has. Uh, been through the desert experience with Satan. He's come out and publicly started speaking and gathering a following. And now he's giving example after example in the real world about what this kingdom that he keeps talking about is actually all about. 11 and 12, things get a, we get a little bit darker here right right from the beginning. Well, well, well there's a change. There's an interesting change of, um, of tact 
uh, change of tack, let's call it that, to use a nautical term, uh, here in, in the way that, got Ma- uh, that Matthew, the gospel writer, who was also a disciple of Jesus, is putting this together because um, you had the Sermon on the Mountain, chapters 5 to 7. Then in 8 to 10, uh, you have, well, 8 and 9, you've got Jesus doing miracle, the miracles of Jesus, him demonstrating the kingdom. Yes. Then uh, chapter 10, you've got him sending his disciples uh, out Picking and the warning 12. them, yep, yep. Uh, I should say, warning them that there's going to be trouble. Yes. You know, that there's going to be opposition. Great point. And um, this then is what leads into um, chapter 11, where, um, where at, at, I mean, starting here, uh, you're going to see more about responses to Jesus, mm-hmm. more complex responses. You know, how are people responding? Now, one of the biggest issues is that he isn't, Doing the things that they expected him to do. There's there's something surprising. They expected him to be a um, you know political uh, leader, more like a a, um, a Maccabean yeah. you know like a Judas Maccabeus uh, kind of leader, referring to the period of the Maccabees in the uh, mid <coughs> second century BC. Yes. Um, uh, but he, he's he's clearly something different. And what you see. It's interesting the way that this opens in chapter 11 because the first sort of of, of these recorded responses to Jesus is actually that of John, uh, who John himself, who has actually been the first, he was the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, is now in prison and has to send his disciples to Jesus to, to ask, now, are you, are you the one or... Yeah. or because he, even even for him, yes. it's you know like pro- prophets weren't omniscient; they don't know everything. So even for John, there's something surprising about it's it's not quite what he, even he had imagined. Exactly. Now, when he prophesied, he wasn't prophesying out of his imagination. Yeah. You know, uh, he was prophesying by divine inspiration. But you know, he, the human John the Baptist yeah. is working with. A sense of what now? What would this look like? What would this Messiah look like? Yeah, yeah. And and it's not quite of what he what he thought. I've got I got a little rabbit rabbit trail for us here, Matt. And this is something that was coming to mind as I was reading through these chapters. Something that's very popular in storytelling these days, whether it comes to movies or television, is the what they call, you know, uh, we're going to subvert the narrative. We want to subvert right your expectations. A classic okay. example of this is the last, as as of we're recording, the last Star Wars film, you know, The yeah. Last Jedi there. Yeah. Where everything that was built up in the previous films, the choice of the director yeah. and the writers was to subvert the narrative. Oh, we think... A- that's a good excuse for what was I think is really bad script writing. Yeah, well, but anyway. uh, well, no, they like okay. You expect Luke to do this. We're gonna. He's gonna throw the lightsaber yeah, over yeah. his shoulder and subvert the name. Yeah. Every okay, choice yep, yeah. was subvert. Oh, no, I see where you're going with that, though. Yeah, yeah. and and. It was very dissatisfying. That dissatisfying. Even recently, I know not a lot of people. You know, I've never seen an episode. Game of Thrones have just finished the most epic television series. Everyone was disappointed with it. Apparently, it subverted all the expectations. My point with this is, you want you want true subversion of people's expectations. Everything that Christ is doing here, especially with the miracles, is. Everyone is going, this is the way. And he goes, yeah. oh, no, no, no. And he goes the completely well, that's opposite right. direction. I mean, the first two miracles, uh, the first miracle in chapter 8 yeah. is the is the healing of a leper, um, where, 
he, he goes out and touches the untouchable and, mm. and gives the outsider admission to the inside, which, oh, that's, um, you're supposed to go to the inside and congratulate the holy people, but instead yeah. he goes to those who are seen as unholy. So this already, you're scratching your head thinking, hang on, this is not where the Messiah, this is not what he does. Yeah. And then, uh, because he's the one that kicks the ungodly people out. I mean, this is what the Maccabee, this is what the Maccabees did. Yeah. You know, they, they purged the land of the ungodly, of the Hellenizers in the, in the mid-second he, century. He, he doesn't even go that. He even starts reprimanding them, saying, like with the Roman centurion that we've read, yeah. this is the faith. You guys yeah. and are going to be outcast. And, and you're alluding to the second yeah. miracle that's recorded, which is a miracle for the servant of a, of a Roman centurion. Unbelievable. And that is particularly provocative because they were expecting him to lead them in an uprising against the Romans. Yeah. And instead, he's actually reaching out to the Romans to draw them in. Yeah. So, so talk about subversion. This is completely subverting their their expectations so, so much so that John the Baptist in prison is scratching yeah. his head going <clears throat> that's right so it says what? here um in 11 verse 2 when John who was in prison heard about the deeds uh, of the Messiah he sent his disciples to ask him are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else and Jesus answer is is interesting because he he doesn't he, he doesn't want to say this is a public, they're asking him publicly. Yes. And he doesn't want to say, yes, I am the Messiah because of the connotations. In He still needs to correct the connotations that go with that. Yep. So he, he's not going to openly say, yes, I am the Messiah, because that's going to mean something different uh, to his, his audiences. So he, he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who's... Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news proclaimed to the the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Oh, now, uh, you know, this is a this is a it's a it's something that, in some ways, a lot of people wouldn't have got, but John would have got this because this is a quote from um, Isaiah chapter thirty-five, which talks about the messianic age, and it says, "Then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the deaf of the ear, the, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forward, forth in the wilderness, as and streams in the desert." And 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 it goes on, and and then it goes on to say, "And the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, and so forth." So, so this is a. Um, uh, this is a sort of a, new, a prophecy of the new age to come, and and he say so. Yes, he's saying yes. This is look. Read the signs, John. This is a little coded message for you. Uh, I I am ushering in the new messianic age. Yeah. Uh, but don't stumble. Don't stumble uh, on your um, really over your own expectations. That's it. Uh, and and I think I mean there's something really to learn because I think um, you know already there's a life lesson here. I think because we can stumble over faulty expectations of how we think God's going to turn up in our lives. You know, we, 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 we hold on to these assurances that God is going to turn up for us. Mm. He is going to answer us. He is. But what we get, what we stumble on is the fact that no, God does it his way because he's God. Yeah. So he will answer your prayers, but he's going to do it in his way and yeah. in his timing. And blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. So, so this is what um, this is what Jesus is is saying. So, then, uh, uh, if you're happy for me to just go on, because there's yeah. a slightly com- complicated uh, bit here. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. 
he said, and he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Now, on coins in the first century, Herod, the King Herod, who was the Roman puppet king, mm-hmm. normally um, Roman rulers, kings would put their head uh, on, on the coins. But he, he realized he's not going to get this by the Jews. The Jews have scruples about human images. On, mm-hmm. on, it, it's too much like an idol. Yes. Okay. So instead, he put a picture of a reed. Okay. Uh, on, on, on the coins. So this is a kind of allusion to, in other words, Jesus saying, what did you go out to the wilderness? to? Sw- is, is, did you come out to see this kind of king, a kind of Herodian okay. style king? This is, again, as a veiled, slightly veiled yes. uh, kind of message. Um, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Uh, you know, um, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. You see where this is going. Mm. In, in other words, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of, uh, king, I'm not that kind of ruler. Then what did you go out to see? Um, uh, a prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. He's talking about John now. Uh, for this of whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And he says something interesting. He says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Amazing. And this is a, it's a staggering uh, comment. And it's to do with the fact he's trying to underscore the, um, the superiority of the age to come over the age that has been. Mm. This is how big a revolution mm. Jesus is actually bringing about so that those who are under the old covenant, um, the greatest of those under the old covenant, John, is, is going to le- be le- less than the least under the new covenant. Wow. That's how big this change. So he's really wanting to underscore the fact that there's an enormous change. Now, this is important because change means that because he's messing with their expectations. So things have been done. It's subversion. Things have been done in a certain way. Mm. Uh, in things have been done. The kingdom of God has gone out by by force, you know, by forceful means, and so forth. And and that's what they're expecting, right? Um, they're expecting a political messiah, you know, military figure to come. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to be this type of king, you know, this Herodian. Uh, like a Herodian brute, really, mm. <laughs> essentially. Um, uh, no, the, 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 the way that things are going to happen in, in the kingdom of God in this new age are going to be completely different to that. So he then goes on to say, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Now, it's interesting here, there's a slightly different uh, translation in the 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 old, older NIV, uh, so even a difference between versions of the NIV. A lot Amazing. of people don't realize. Yeah. NIV is not the NIV. Hang on, I think could probably just confuse people. But there are editions of it. Of course. And the older edition says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, um, commentators have been pointing out that it's more of a reflexive kind of verb there. It's like a passive you know, it, well, it can be taken in, in the passive voice. Okay. It doesn't have to be translated that way. So uh, the later translators have preferred has been subject to violence or subject to force. Okay. Look, I think the point is, is similar in any case in that it's been a matter of force. Yeah. Let, let's, let's put it that way. You know, the kingdom of heaven, it's been all about force, right? Um, but um, this is, things are going to be different 
things are going to be different from here mm. on. In other words, he's saying, because he's underscoring the difference. Uh, and he goes on, uh, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him, to, let him hear. So um, he's saying it's going to be a completely different kind of kingdom. Mm. Now, the interesting thing he says here, you know, if you're willing to accept it, I think, think that's a very telling statement. Yeah. Yeah, are massive. you willing to accept this? And then I think that qualifies because in the next chapter, in the, sorry, in chapter 13, we're going to hear Jesus say this a lot more, a lot more, he who has ears, let him hear. Yeah. And it's got something to do with the previous statement, if you are willing to accept it. Yeah. And he, and he almost fleshes that out with this idea that at first just sounds um, sort of like, it, it's, it almost sounds like a, a complaint, but there's something really deep going on here about this idea of subverted expectations and, yeah. and our expectations when we come to God. When he says, you, this generation is like, Children in the pl- yeah, you know yeah. in the playground who are not listening like we've come to them and we've said let's do this and no no our expectation is this and they're not listening to what God is wanting to do it yeah that's right so we played the flute for you but you did not dance we sang a dirge and you did not mourn I mean it sounds like because says they are children they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others we played a flute for you it can be confusing yeah it's the scenario is like that yes so the the child the the children playing the flute is actually um, not this generation, but John yes. and Jesus. So yes. it's John that sang, sings the dirge. It's Jesus that yes. plays the flute in this uh, in this example. And the but generation you did not dance and you did not mourn. Like you yeah. didn't. You, you you're not responding. And this relates to the he who has ears, let him hear. Mm. Now this is going to remember. I said that there's a change in tack here, mm-hmm. um, and and now now what Matthew is underscoring is the problem with with the re- reception with mm. people's ability to receive Jesus. Mm. So he has taught the kingdom. He's taught about the kingdom. He has demonstrated the kingdom with all of these miracles, right? And and Matthew in chapters 8 and 9 has clustered these miracles. But he's also sent his disciples out in chapter 10 yes. uh, to do these same things. Now this is about res- reactions. And, 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 and the reaction, you know, th- this is um, that people... Uh, Jesus is doing all these miracles, but people aren't accepting and aren't hearing the the nature of this upgrade. They're not getting mm. the subversion in yeah. your in your language. Yes. Why? Because they're not willing. Yeah. And that's interfering with their ability to connect with what with what God is doing. And that's the you know we played the flute for you, but yeah. you didn't dance. Yeah. It's it's and like you say, this sets the theme. It yeah. also ties into a theme that we were talking about on the last episode yeah. that you, that we were both wrestling with, is this idea of faith when it comes to Jesus in yeah. this kingdom age, yeah. because now he's he's really like turning up the faith aspect and yeah. saying, if you know, if you have yeah. to respond. There's something you have to do about this to enter into this kingdom. And That's it a is, very good point. And it is like. Whoa! Like it's not—it's not just yeah. this airy fairy belief for a miracle. It's like you've got to be open to having yeah. your expectations absolutely shattered, yeah. and I will do something completely different. Yeah. See, that's a very good point, actually. <laughs> and and I and I hadn't thought of it that way um, because you know we were talking about faith yeah. in, in the last episode, and 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 I th- were asking some really good questions about faith, but um, really. Uh, he's commenting on that here, isn't he? One hundred percent. It's it's the willingness to accept. You know, faith is is not just the uh, ability to accept. Yeah. 
like intellectually, it, but it's the willingness to accept God on his terms. Even what he says to John the Baptist. It's yeah. like, John, you've got to have faith now. Yeah, you, yeah. You've yep, seen. Right. Yeah, you've great. seen and heard. So good. It's yeah. now up to it's now up to you. And then for me, the thing that I was in, I was in tears when I was reading this again, chapter yeah. eleven. I'm I'm thinking about this subversion and this expectations and faith, and then it's like we get a we get a curtain drawn at the end of chapter eleven. Yeah. The curtain gets pulled back, and we see what this kingdom's heart is all about. When Jesus speaks to Father, just this intimate intimate oh, conversation yeah. about rest oh, and is, peace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I I'm like, I'm like. This is what he's asking us to do. This is what is available to us if we get rid of this expectation business. Well, he says there, and, and I am going to go back a step yeah. uh, if, if we have time to make a, just a quick comment about what happened before. Mm. But he, he says, you're right, he says, I praise you, Father, in he, uh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed to them to little children. Oof. It's like, you know, this is about who gets it, yeah. who's willing to hear. People like... Little children, and and the way that Jesus describes what faith is like, mm. he uses little children to to illustrate that. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And um and and then as you say, comes this in invitation: "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Oh. Uh, because actually, their expect expectations and their desire for revolution. Uh, you could read it in in that sense, and and their their sense of need to be to make themselves ready, mm. to make themselves righteous in preparation for God's coming. Mm. This was a burden upon them, mm. and he's saying, "No, I'm here to take that burden off you." Yeah, you know, but you you are actually holding on to the burden mm. that I actually want to take off you, mm. and 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 you're not willing to let go. You're not willing to uh, accept. So it's really profound stuff. So in in line with the um, with the responses, uh, there's a very important. Uh, we, I don't want to skip over this. Yeah. Uh, because again, it, with in line with the change of tack, mm. in verse twenty of cha- chapter eleven, it says, "Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, mm. because they did not repent." Mm. Now, remember, John prepared the way mm-hmm. by leading them to the place of repentance. Like he, his baptism was a baptism of repentance, mm-hmm. and when Jesus came, that's where he turned up. He turned up to where John was baptizing, and he himself was baptized in a baptism of identification with sinful humanity. Mm. So Jesus meets us in the place of repentance. So Jesus denounces the cities uh, in which most of his miracles performed because they did not repent. Uh, so they didn't change their agenda. They, and this is this holding on to the holding on to something that was actually burdensome to them mm. um, and they weren't willing to let it go. So they weren't willing to repent to to um Ditch the expectation. Yeah ditch, yeah, ditch the expectation and and turn to what yeah. you know uh, and turn their heads towards what God was doing. So, you know, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, Oof. they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now this is powerful because of the role of Tyre and Sidon in Old Testament prophecy. Mm. In in the prophecies of uh, Ezekiel and other prophets, Tyre and Sidon are seen as the ultimate hard-hearted nation, yeah. the ultimate unrepentant nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, we, so you get this right. Yeah, he's saying <laughs> that if if I would have done these miracles in Tyre and Sidon, and in fact, in Matthew chapter fifteen, he's going to go there and and the one of the times the the one instance where 
probably the greatest commendation that Jesus gives of someone's faith mm. is for the Phoenician woman. Mm. That's a woman mm. in Sidon. That's in chapter 15. So get ready for that. Yep. Okay. So, and, and so it, this actually ends, turns out to be true. Um, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Well, as it turns out in Matthew 15, n- not only is this powerful because of what they, in, in the minds of the Jews, in the prophetic background, yeah. they stood for the ultimate heart. It's like you're worse than them. Yeah. And he doesn't uh, just leave it at that. He gets into, you know, in a couple of verses, he says, you know, even in, you know, if the works would have been done in Sodom, yeah, Sodom would yeah, be still, right. would it, still yeah, be here. Worse. And that's it's right. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So it's, this is a, this, this actually is a turning point now. Yeah. So what we're going to find from here on is that he is going to start speaking to those who are willing to listen. And in chapter 13, we're going to see he's actually going to start talking in riddles yeah. so that those who don't want to understand won't. That's how he explains his parables. It's not people think, oh, Jesus spoke in parables so that people could understand him. No, no, he spoke in parables <laughs> because it was like riddles, so that only those who were willing uh, to hear w- would would be able to. And and the, you know some of the background there is in Second Samuel chapter twelve when Nathan tells the parable to David, and David doesn't recognize the parable about the poor man and the rich man, mm. and it's meant to be a. A, a parable describing David, mm-hmm. but David doesn't. He's not willing to recognise that it's him, yeah. and so th- that parabolic, that that prophetic use of parables has precedent there in in, in the Old Testament. And I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But Jesus is going to use. That's going to be one of the ways. But you, the turning point, as I said, uh, is here. Well, let's take a break. All right. <laughs> well, let's wrap up chapter eleven. Let's get into chapter twelve because things are going to get even darker in chapter yeah. twelve. Yeah. As we go through the book of Matthew, you're with Thrive Deeper, episode deeper it's dj and matthew here you're on episode 53 we have just closed chapter 11 of the gospel of matthew talk about going deeper yeah (laughs) and i feel like we're barely scratching the surface still but chapter 12 we're trying to pick up the pace and really uh you know take a brisk pace we can do that we can do that we can do that we're telling ourselves this now we now get into uh, chapter 12 here uh, for, um, uh, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew. And there's two two big things here that a lot of people, uh, you know, still want to talk about and argue about today. Um, the first one is about the Sabbath, what the Sabbath is. And, and Jesus really goes out of the way to, to mm. say that, you know, the Sabbath is something subject to him. He's greater than the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, this is important... 
um, because the Sabbath was um, it, it, it was a, an identity issue here. Uh, the, the Jewish people, the, the Sabbath observance was a very important aspect of Jewish identity. So, uh, and part of the problem here was them taking for granted that they are, well, we're God's people because we're related to Abraham and, mm. and, and, and because we tick all of these boxes. Mm. And he's going to say, no, no, watch out. Yep. You watch out for that. And so it's interesting that Matthew records the, one of the biggest identity uh, box, boxes that they thought they, that they were ticking. And, and he records an instance where Jesus actually transgresses that very... So talk about um, the subversion yes. motif. Yeah. Uh, yet again, we see the subversion motif here, and he's and he's quite a great. Uh, the thing about Jesus here is he, he's starting to. I, I feel in this part, part, I feel like he's starting to get a little bit aggressive with the the people that are coming against him, with yep. the leaders who are coming against him, because he's using words like, you know, haven't you read? Yeah, you don't. You know, and that and that's like that's a red flag to a bull. Yeah, because these guys, that's all they did was read. And this is his. I mean, this is the way that Jesus interacts with them the whole time. Now, yeah. this is interesting because what happens in Matthew chapter four? He, he, he Jesus is in the desert and he's having this con. This um, he's being tempted by the devil, and and the devil, uh, you know, challenges him, and he answers with scripture each mm. time. Well, you've got mm. the same pattern actually throughout the Gospels with his interaction with the, the religious leaders. Now, yeah. this is interesting in the, the light that that sheds on what's going on with the religious leaders Yes, because of the patterning that matches the temptation narrative in the desert. Exactly. And and each, and each he answers them with Scripture, you know, just as he did in his um, dialogue with Satan in the desert. So, and, and he quotes, you know, that they criticize his disciples for picking grains of wheat, you know, on the Sabbath day. And, um, and he... Look, I won't go into it, but he quotes an instance of where David did mm. such a thing. And this is important because historical precedent carries a lot of weight. Uh, historical precedent for Jewish people, you know, particularly on David's part, um, that this that David is recorded as having done this and it's not condemned in the scripture. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that that's a historical precedent that really in a, in a way trumps the... Uh, the um, uh, or... or um, highlights the nature of the principle, as yes, it were. Yes. So, and anyway, I mean, the whole thing is is that you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes, you know, and, and we've talked about that already. Yeah. Uh, he quotes again from this um, uh, verse in Hosea. Um, this is what matters the most. Yeah. You're getting your priorities wrong. You, you're wanting to tick these boxes, but actually, there's something much more important than that, and yeah. that is uh, the welfare of God's of God's workers. You know, yeah. not, not only you know, like he's, he's he's saying, you know, if you knew what God was really about, you wouldn't be condemning the guiltless, those who are innocent. Yeah. But then he also makes the point of. I'm here and I'm greater than all of, you know, yeah. everything that you hold dearly, yeah. I'm greater than it all. You should be, you know, you should be conversing yeah, that's right. with me. And it's interesting that after this episode in verse 15, it says that, um, uh, well, it, it actually says that the, in verse 14, because he mm. heals, uh, he actually heals a man on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Yeah. Okay. And, and, it's, and their response, uh, even after everything that they've heard, right? Yeah. He said, "Isn't it right if you if if your sheep falls into yes. a, a a pit, won't you pull it out?" Well, you know the the implied answer is yes, of course. But even after this, they're still not willing to concede. Well, and, uh, and so it, when he heals this man, yeah. 
It says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Bang. And that's where th- this is, this the, is f- the turning point. This, yeah. Like you said, this is the turning point. Things are now darker. Up until now, we had sort of like intellectual enemies and some discussion going back and forth. But yeah. now it's like, bang, yeah. these guys, to, to get back to your, to what you were saying, the pattern of Jesus and how he dealt with the devil quoting scripture back and forth, yeah. it is like the Pharisees and the Sadducees have now taken that, that role. They have taken that role, absolutely. Of, of, the, of the enemy yeah. against him. Absolutely. And, and, and they just won't see sense. And this is uh, this relates to what we were talking about before, you know, that, that they just won't, they're not willing to hear it. Mm. And, and that's the problem. And, and so they don't even answer him really here. They just sulk off and then plot how to kill him. Yeah. And, and so that becomes the... the um, turning point. And look, interestingly, in response to this, in verse 15, it says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Yeah. So he says, fine, okay, I'll, I'll just withdraw. At, but many people follow him. Mm. And um, and then things heat up because then you get this, um, this interaction, the next piece of interaction. I mean, things really heat up. You can really see what Matthew as the gospel writer is wanting to show us here. Totally. It's it's the extent of this opposition, how mm. senseless and serious it is. Mm. Now, remember, he's writing for a Jewish audience, and he, he wants to show where they got it wrong, not mm. to condemn them, mm. but to bring them to this yes. place of repentance, yes. right? And, and so he's highlighting the senselessness of their opposition to Jesus and the gravity of it. So um, it, it talks about Jesus healing a, a demon-possessed man. And uh, people say, well, this could this be the Messiah. And the response of the Pharisees is that, well, it's by Beelzebub, prince of demons, that he drives out demons. That's how they, you know. Now, Jesus' response to this is, is really interesting. He, he says in um, chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Satan drives out Satan. He is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, uh, by whom do your people drive them out? Mm. Uh, so then they will be your judges. Now, this is interesting because... He's he's having a dig, right? Because there was plenty of attempted exorcisms going on, yes, amongst the disciples of the the, the Pharisees, but they weren't changing anything, hmm. right? People like this still had were demon possessed because their efforts to set these people free weren't working, weren't working right? Yeah. So he's and saying, he, and he so really if makes- I drive out. Demons by Beelzebub. Okay, so who who do your people drive them out? But well, they know. Well, actually, they're not driving them out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not able to. And he, and he fully. Well, I shouldn't use the word brag, but it's like a brag here. It's like a a champion fighter saying, you know, holding up the belt, saying, "I went into his house yeah. and, I, and I plundered the house." Well, that's I, that's where he goes next. Yeah. Just just a word about Beelzebub. Yes. Um, that's that's yeah. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Is that where we get that it's, phrase? It's, um, it can be. Uh, there's a couple of different versions uh, of this, um, depending on. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm not, I won't go into the details. But <laughs> Be- Beelzebul or Beelzebub, um, Be- Beel or Baal is this is a Canaanite word, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Baal it means Lord. Mm-hmm. And initially, it would have meant like Lord of. Um, uh, I think it's like Lord of the Heavens or something like that yes. initially, but they've the Jews actually changed the word uh, to mean Lord of the Flies, really, or Beelzebub, Lord of the Dung. Oh wow! So it's like it's a bit of a 
a play on yep. on on a Canaanite deity. Wow. That that they've just changed the name a bit and and it's it's like this mock kind of name, but it became a formal way of referring to Satan basically. Wow. Yeah. So it's by it's basically is they're saying that it's by the power of Satan. Um and they they weren't meaning a Canaanite god when the when no, the no, Pharisees No, they were talking about Satan. You're that, doing yeah. this by the power of Satan. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy, oh boy. I mean they are calling, I mean this is serious because they're calling the work of God. And you have to remember what Matthew's saying about this state of mind right now. Mm, they are mm. unwilling to see any different. Mm. Now, Jesus is going to say something about that in a moment, but we've got to remember the, the context. Yes. Uh, because he's going to say to them, you have committed a sin from which there's no return. Yeah. Be- because, um, actually, let's deal with this now. Yeah. Because, um, in fact, he says, let's go down to it. Um, in verse so 31. I tell you, yeah. um, every sin... And blasphemy will be forgiven, men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And I know that's a that's a controversial verse for some yeah. people in the in the modern church. That's caused a lot of people to oh, yeah, concern and sweat. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Anyone yeah. he goes on. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Boom. Ooh, so he's saying, okay. Now he's saying this to the Pharisees, right? He's saying. Because remember the context, they are unwilling to hear, right? So he's saying that in this, they're committing a sin against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is is showing them something. 100%. But they are unwilling to. So they're seeing it, but they're refusing to see. And, and he's saying, if you do that, yeah. what else can I do? Yes. That's the point here. Yes. What else can I do, right? Yeah. You can, like... You can sin against the Son of Man in that, you know, this objective person. But when the Holy Spirit comes and shows you something yeah. and you call the work, the, a work of the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of Satan, mm. not because you're just mistaken, but be actually because you are unwilling. Yes. Because you see that it is God, but you're unwilling to acknowledge it as God. Yeah. He says you, you are, you're lost. Yeah. And, 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 there's, and, and as long as you, you know, as long as you continue in that, in that place... There's no way forward from yeah, there. Yeah. There's no. You can't. You know. Th- there's just. Uh, there's just no uh, remedying that. So, he's. This is actually. Um, it's a. I mean. I think this gets misunderstood because yes. it gets taken out of its context. One hundred percent. And I. And I. And I want, I'd love us to speak, especially you, Matt, to to those who've been listening. And you might have. You might be listening right now, and you've sat underneath some teaching where you are fearful that you have somehow mm. blasphemed the Holy Spirit at some point in your life, and you are thinking, "Oh, gee, have I done that? Have I? Have I? Can I be forgiven? Am I going to be forgiven?" I just want to assure you. You know, go now to the Word. Go yep. now to this chapter. Yep. Read it again and see what Christ is actually saying. If you are, let me just say this, if you are worried that you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and you're reading this scripture praying, God, I want, I don't want to be, you know, uh, blaspheming, Mm, you know, blaspheming against you. I want to be forgiven. Let me assure you, you're, you're, you're not, you're not doing it. You know, you are. The very fact that you're concerned (laughs) about it indicates that it's not you. Exactly. Because if, because this is the whole point. If you had, you wouldn't care. No. And that's, that's the danger of it. Yeah. It's the fact that you actually not only not care, yeah. but don't even want to acknowledge that it is a problem. And getting back to a theme that I feel that God's been showing me in these passages as I've been reading through it again, and like we've already mentioned, yeah. like we talked about in the last episode, this idea of what faith is and what 
Jesus expects us to do with faith. Yeah. This is a massive part of it. This is yeah. yet another example for him saying, not only is it a choice for you to hear, let him have ears to hear. He's like, you can see all the same thing. The Holy Spirit can work in your yeah. heart and yeah. you can choose not to, yeah. and you will never be forgiven. Yeah. It's your choice. Yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. that is like heavy stuff. It really is, yeah, it really is. And, I mean, uh, he, he really then speaks strongly against them, you know, uh, you brood of vipers, which he basically echoes what John said yes. about them. Yeah. Uh, you brood of vipers, how, uh, how can you who are evil say anything good? Yeah. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, I, and this, and this is, and this is where we should be worried yeah. about today. Yeah. The only thing that we should be worried about, and again, I, I shouldn't use the word worry, in in the fact that we should be stressed about it in our own life. But maybe we need to be aware sometimes to be careful of looking at what God might be doing in a group of people or in a place or something like that, and to call that which is good evil or that which is you know evil good you know type yeah, of thing yeah. like we need to be a bit discerning and we need to be slow on our judgment sometimes and see what god is actually doing in amongst it yeah that's right so in in those well that's an interesting point because people ask me oh what do you think about what's happening over there yeah uh and well, well i mean i never just assume that if if there, there is someone's out there doing miraculous things i never i don't assume oh well therefore it's of god because yeah. it says Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, he says, uh, it talks about in the last days, people come and do miracles and all the time and so forth. So, um, so that's not necessarily a, and, and in, so that's not necessarily a, a infallible sign that something's right. Yeah. But I'm also very, very careful for that to, to feel that I, I need to have a black and white opinion about that or, or like, I, I'm, I'm also very cautious to say that it's not God yeah. because God works in mysterious ways mm. And, um, and, you know, I mean, we, we just have to, uh, well, actually, I think Jesus gives us the key, the, the key here because it's, he talks about uh, good and bad fruit. Yes. You know, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Yeah. So um, he, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's talking about... Um, that you should be recognizing me. Well, well, first of all, that they are exhibiting bad fruit. Yeah. Uh, but Jesus' ministry is also exhibiting good fruit. So I think that there's a key there to um, how we uh, how we can discern in, in cases. But we, we also need to be careful that we're not making big judgments about things that really shouldn't matter to us. It's yes. like, well, what? Well, why should I have an opinion on that? Yeah. Of something yeah. that's happened over in some place, like I'm not there, I don't know. Mm. But it's like we feel like we need to have an opinion about yes. about we got to have some sort of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if it's in our backyard and it somehow concerns us, you know, sure. But even then, I think we need to be uh, we need to be very very cautious. Yeah, but this this principle of calling. I think this is a very post. I mean, we can get into philosophy now, but I think which I know you'd love mm. to do. But this is a very, I think, a big issue for us. That is a, a in a postmodern, post-Christian Western civilization, the idea of good and evil, yeah. something being truly good or something being truly bad, is really up for grabs for a lot of, especially today in mainstream media, where there's certain particular political issues that basically calling black, white, and white black. You know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes we need to really take a step back from what the what the masses are saying about something or someone, yeah. and say, "Hang on, what is the, 
you know, are yeah. we are we are we following the crowd here? Well, the the key problem here with this with all discussions around right and wrong, and and good and evil, mm. is is that they is that we we actually falsely polarize things. Yes, there is such a thing as good and there is such a thing as evil. But in the world right now, there is nothing purely good, mm. right? There is nothing that is purely good. Mm. Uh, in only God is good, yes. right? So yes. now, which means that. Uh, everything is bad. Well, no, l- l- no, I'm not going to put it that way. <laughs> let me strike that. Everything is created good, yeah. but tainted badly. Yes, that's an important principle. Mm-hmm. So, so God is sovereign, which means that God is at work in. Or he created all things, which He created everything to be good, mm-hmm. and He can work through all things. Amen. That's His sovereignty. Yeah. But everything is tainted, including us. Mm. So, the whole problem with discussions about right and wrong and good and evil is that. It's it's polarized in in the sense that we say, oh, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm good, you're bad. You're evil, I'm good. Yeah. N- no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Uh, everything was created good, but it's tainted. You know, it's it's corrupted. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and I think that adds an appropriate level of complexity to the situation. It does not take away from us recognizing uh it does not take away from us our ability for us to recognize what our ideals are okay Mm. this Mm. is how god created things to be yeah this isn't how god created things to be okay so we can say we can talk about right and wrong but actually when it comes to concrete situations we need to we need to recognize that the position of me saying i'm in the right and you're in the wrong Mm. it's you've got to be really careful uh, with that because actually we're all in the wrong, we're all in a process of moving towards what's right, yeah. um, and uh, and it's not. And, and what this does is that it should change our disposition in the way that we have these conversations. Exactly doesn't doesn't take away from a sense of that there is a right and wrong. Hundred percent about disposition. And I th- and for me personally, what I have found is my human heart loves being right. You know, my religious mm. pharisaical brain loves yeah. being right. And I want to win that argument, hold somebody else down type of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm through, through, through this gospel, reading through this gospel, I've been convicted exactly what you're talking about and realizing when I do have a discussion or, or an argument with someone, per mm. se, about something we disagree with, whether it's something mm. political, ethically, moral, spiritual, whatever it is. Even if I think I'm further along in that yeah. grace journey, like you said, we're all on this grace journey, my attitude shouldn't be to point the finger wrong. My attitude be, should be, here, let me help you come up further with me Yeah, as let's we walk. Together. Let's right. do yeah. this yeah. together. And that's the troubling thing that I find yeah. so much these days is this battle to put the other person down, even amongst us in the church, yeah. to be right or wrong over it. Yeah, and and right. it's, it scares me. And the important thing here, and, and this is where this finished, and I think we'll finish on this note, yeah. is that you know, as part of this drawing the line on the sand, Jesus appeals to the sense of Jewish brotherhood and the very strong sense of family in, in the Jewish culture. Mm. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of God's people because I belong to this family, the family mm. of Abraham. And Jesus... Uh, that people say, "Oh, your brother and mother." He, he says, "Who, who, who, who is my who is my brother and mother?" Like th- this is a moment, a profound moment. He says, "Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother 
and sister and mother. In other words, I'm going to redefine what it means to be the family of God, completely redefine what it means to be the family of God. And it's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And what is that? It is to meet God in the place of repentance. Episode 53 of Thrive Deeper in the can. Am I am I allowed to be proud of that one? I really loved the conversation that Matthew and I had, and I think there was a few epiphanies for both of us as we went through these two chapters. And this is the joy that I personally get out of doing this podcast. I hope you are getting some benefit as well. If you've got questions, you've got commentary, you've got feedback of any kind, please let us know. If you go to thrivetoday.net.au, that's thrivetoday.net.au, you will find all the different ways to contact us there. You can send us an email, you can head over to our Facebook pages, you can do everything from there. So, Not only have we covered Gospel of Matthew chapters 11 and 12, you've also been indoctrinated into Midnight Oil, all right? So next time you see Matthew Jacoby out on a gig or a preaching conference or speaking anywhere, you know how to get on the right side of him. Just start quoting some Midnight Oil lyrics, okay? So (laughs) that's your mission. It's been DJ Payne here on behalf of the whole crew. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your support. We'll see you next week here at Thrive Deeper. for listening to Thrive Deeper. If you have questions you would like answered, contact us, the Thrive Today website, where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, Thrive. Thrive.